Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Welcome everyone, we are back with more women's football from across Europe, including a special interview with Atletico Madrid's Kylie Strom coming up later in the show. But first, it's me, your host Angelina Kelly, and today I am joined by Emily Wilson. Welcome Emily. Hi. And thanks to a pretty boring nil-nil draw between Man United and Arsenal in the men's game, I felt it was safe to invite Lewis Ambrose back onto the podcast. We're not going to fall out, you know, there's, you know we're going to be all right. We've not had any issues, so welcome back. Thanks, Angelina. I'm, I'm glad that it was just a draw because otherwise it could have got a bit ugly between us, but I'm glad we're still friends. Well, you know. I don't know. Although, to be fair... I feel like the next Man United Arsenal game, probably in the women's um, in the women's game, more more than likely it's going to be we're going to be at loggerheads again. Hi, yeah, please, yeah, that's the best way to be. <laughs> Definitely right. Let's crack on and take a look at some of these games that took place over the weekend. So, starting off in Spain, um, it was the second official, they're calling it official, Women's El Clasico that took place at the Johan Cruyff Stadium and it was certainly one to remember. It was absolutely manic. It had it all, penalties, two red cards, dramas and it was Barcelona that came out on top with a 4-1 victory. Emily, what were your thoughts on this very wild game? Yeah, wild is an understatement. Um, it was a really dramatic one, um, but I'm just kind of surprised that Madrid didn't come out as strong as they have been in the past, just in their recent appearances. But I mean, playing against this Barca side, they just proved how strong they were within a matter of minutes. Um, and Real Madrid had a new formation as well, so I think they were just kind of adjusting themselves. But is it the best decision to adjust when you're playing a team like Barca? I'm not so sure. Um, but the drama, yeah, like I said, it was uh, full of it. Uh, we had the one red card from Misa, who in the past has actually been really, really good. So it's really surprising to see her um, get the red card after she's shaved a, saved a shot out of the box. I mean, she's only 21, but at the same time, like I said, she's been so, so good this season. Um, so my heart kind of felt for her a little bit. But then, I mean, minutes later, towards the end of the match, Barca also went down to 10 as well. And on the bright side for Madrid fans, um, that left to a historic moment, the club's first ever official goal in the Clasico. But... Um, I mean, overall, Barca, they just showed how strong they were. And Madrid, unfortunately, couldn't answer with anything. And, you know, on to the next match after this one, I guess. I think they've got to just brush themselves down and crack on, haven't they? I mean, we had um, Alejandro on the podcast last week, who is a massive Real Madrid fan. And I'm kind of glad that he's not here to discuss it because I feel like it would be <laughs> very painful for him. Um, I mean, it was a great game for Alexia Puteas. She scored her 100th goal for Barcelona. Now, she is a vital cog in the machine, as I would put it, and she's achieved a lot already with the club. Lewis, just how important is she for that Barcelona midfield? Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe their most important player. The goal was brilliant, firstly. Um, they, they just, you know, out of no, nowhere, completely unstoppable. They're smashed into the top corner from distance. But I think when you when you watch the game back or you watch the highlights, you can see that she was involved in almost everything, almost every single attack that the Barcelona looked like they were going to score. It was Patias, you know, having the shot at the end of it or creating something or releasing somebody. She's so, so good on the ball. She 
controls the ball so brilliantly. Her, she's technically excellent and she can withstand the pressure of attracting two or three opposition players and then releasing one of her teammates. And obviously when you play for a team like Barcelona and you have three or four such massively talented players going forward, to have one player who can attract the attention of two or three opposition players is absolutely massive so yeah I mean the the team's most creative player one of the top goal scorers and was absolutely crucial to everything in the Clasico I 100% agree she is such a massive player for them now Barcelona are not only celebrating that win but the fact that they have a 100% record they've got no losses in the league um Emily, do you think that they could go the entire season unbeaten? Because at the moment, it seems to be looking like they've got a good chance of doing that. Uh, Yeah, I definitely think so. To be honest, I'd be more surprised if they were to drop points, um, either a draw or a shock loss. I mean, looking at the stats of the table, they already have a goal difference of plus 70, 7-0, (laughs) which is insane. Like, that's that's just absurd. But, I mean, when you look at both the Classicos, for instance... um, The first one, they put 4-0 past, and then this one recently, they also put another 4 past. So their goal scoring rate is insane. Um, And then they've only conceded 3 across all competitions as well. So at the same time, it's going to be more of a shock, like I said, if they have a chance to drop any points. They really don't have any weak spots. Um, They have such a deep roster, and they all have been playing with each other for a long time now. So... I, yeah, I think they could definitely go unbeaten. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think it could definitely happen. Plus 70. Yeah. That doesn't seem <laughs> like, that doesn't seem real. <laughs> I can't, wow, plus 70. I mean, Real didn't have a chance, did they? Bless them. Um, but <laughs> speaking of Real Madrid, it was actually their best result against Barcelona, even though it was a loss. It was an improvement to an extent, trying to grasp at some straws here. Um, I personally feel like they're just, they have to take the loss. They would just not at that level. They're not at that level yet. They're a far cry from it. Um, now, considering that when they were named um, Tacom before they were taken over officially by Real Madrid, they ended the league in 10th position. Of course, looking on paper, looking at the league, they have improved this season. But, Lewis, do you think that this manager, David Aznar, is he the man that can take them to that next level to be competing maybe not competing the same as Barcelona but to be a little bit closer to them um I don't know but I think you as you just mentioned from when they were tack on before they're moving in the right direction and I think everybody understands that this isn't something that will just happen overnight so you know Barcelona's women's team has been going for 30 years or so by now they only won their first or there's they weren't winning the title sorry um should I say sort of 10 years ago and it's only the last 10 years that Barcelona and Atletico have been the two teams to beat in Spain I, I don't think it will take Madrid 20 years to to reach that sort of those heights uh, they obviously just with the name and the funding that Real Madrid have compared to other clubs it should happen quicker than that it's something we've seen in the WSL with Manchester United that it can happen very quickly but they're still a long way behind Barcelona they've still got such a long way to go to sort of reach what Barcelona have become and what Barcelona have been over the past 10 years or so and I think that's all this is and uh, and under David Asna they're like they're 
they're improving. They're getting closer and closer. Of course, it obviously still looks like they're a long way off. But as you just said, Tecon finished 10th last season. So for Madrid to now be in third and competing to maybe qualify for the Champions League, they're above Atletico in the league. I think they have to keep going with that and they have to keep trusting what they're doing and until they stop moving in the right direction. But for now, there's no signs of that happening. Yeah, I guess if if it's not completely broke, you don't really need to be fixing it. So whilst he's still, like you say, taking them further than he did last season, why not stick with him? And But yeah, I agree. I cannot see the powers that be at Real Madrid allowing it to be a good 20 years before they're at the same <laughs> level. They'll probably be fuming that they've not won the league this season. So, um, But another question regarding Real Madrid, with nine goals already and arguably their best forward... Emily, do you know why um, Kosovare, as, as again, if I say her name wrong, my apologies, Aslani, do you know why she was on the bench and she didn't actually make an appearance? Um, I actually don't. This I is know, very weird. I don't know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I know when they um, released the starting XI, I was like, okay, um, her st- starting on the bench, kind of a shock, not that big of a deal. Um, maybe she'll come on, you know, the last half hour or so if they really need to push, but I mean, Madrid were down 3-0 at halftime. Yeah. And she still just stuck to the bench. Um, It might have been, I did some research, and it might have been like a tactical decision from Asnar because their formation, like I said earlier, was a different one than what they've normally played with. Um, But yeah, it was really surprising not to see her involve at all. Um, And yeah, everyone's just kind of asking the same question hopefully we get an answer soon um i would assume it's not an injury related because like i said there's no statements or anything yeah very interesting decision it's 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 very strange i was thinking the same about the the tactical side of it and maybe that's the reason why but i mean like you say it didn't make any sense yeah you're so many goals down Unless he's got some kind of issue, they've had a fallout, I don't know. You'd at least think, you know what, shove her on for 10 minutes at least, see what she can do. Um, Very strange. Um, But I guess, like you say, we'll have to wait and see it. I will also be very interested to see if any explanation is given. Um, Of course, as the game kicked off, both sets of players stood motionless for a few seconds in protest over the coronavirus protocols in Spain. As we know, quite a few of the women's games have been postponed because of the pandemic. Barcelona alone have had five games postponed and they're already plus 70, so (laughs) God knows what will happen after those five games. Um, Now, the women's league relies on the Spanish Football Federation, whereas the men's competition relies on La Liga. Um, And this isn't the first time that the women's league um, have had some issues. Luis, what did you make of this protest? Um, I think it's important for Firstly, I think over and over again, we just see that women's football is treated differently to men's football. And we see, you know, situations like huge clubs where women are not allowed to use the same facilities. I'm I'm thinking like Liverpool have just built a a £50 million training centre and there's no space for the women's team there and they're not there using that. And I think it was only this year when Alex Morgan joined Tottenham that Tottenham allowed the women's team to start using the men's facilities, which are obviously all state-of-the-art. It's difficult 
because you want to sort of point the finger maybe at the Spanish FA, but when the clubs themselves aren't even standing up for their players all, all the time, and it's obviously the first year that we've seen Real Madrid even have a women's team, you it's difficult to... You know that change sometimes even has to come within the, from within the women's game or within the people representing the women's game first. There are so many people trying so hard to push it forward. It sort of goes to show that the the women's game has so far to go still to have the respect of being a professional sport and all being treated like professional athletes. I mean, we see the WSL is a professional league. I think the Italian league turns professional next year um which will but you know it, the for the most part in Europe the women women's football isn't seen as a professional sport and it isn't really a, a professional environment that they're in and that all comes from what they're provided or not provided and it's down to the Spanish FA to step up and to provide what they need for the game to continue and be considered on the same platform as the men's game. Yeah, I completely agree and I think that's a really good point that you make about how, yeah, you can sit and point the finger at the uh, the Spanish Football Federation but, like you say, if clubs aren't showing their women's teams the respect that they deserve, that's pro- half of the problem in some ways, surely. Um and hopefully protests like these that are important, especially in these big games. Um, I know it was reported on quite a lot more so than the actual game in, um, you know, on some of the things that I read. Uh, hopefully it will it will do some good. Um, fingers crossed. But heading over now to um, the Women's Super League, it was another amazing performance from Chelsea over the weekend. Manchester United are not at the top of the table. I was quite happy that we were there on um on kind of points and well goal difference really last weekend because Chelsea's game got postponed um, that made me quite happy unfortunately it's been taken away from me they have extended their unbeaten women's super league record to 33 games as they beat their London rival Spurs four goals to nil Emily what did you make of Chelsea's performance uh, I think Chelsea were very good um the one thing, though, you have to take into account is it took them about 20, maybe 25 minutes to actually get into the match. Um, yeah. yeah, Spurs had a lot of pressure, you know, in that opening little bit. And I don't think Chelsea anticipated the pressure. But, I mean, then they went ahead and scored, what was it, two goals in two minutes, I believe. That was how close they were. <laughs> yeah, so that just shows how clinical they can be even when they're playing against the run of play. Um, and then 3-0 at halftime. Basically, in the second half, they just had to finish off the game and use their substitutes to do so. And I think overall, um, they knew that they had to come out strong. They were slow, like I said in the beginning, but found a way to turn it around and, yeah, stay top of the table. Yes, very upsetting for myself and Lewis. One thing that we maybe have in in common (laughs) is that we're not big fans of Chelsea being at the top, but we can appreciate the fact that they are, you know, a brilliant team. I mean, Fran Kirby and uh, Penila Harder were not on the score sheet. Shocker. Instead, it was Melanie Lupoles, Abby McManus, Sam Kerr. Now, Lupoles arrived at the club in the summer. She's already got five goals in all competitions. Emma Hayes praised her quite highly after the game. Lewis, what have you made of her so far? I think she's great, and I think she's so important to Chelsea as well because she does so much of the the dirty work, if you like, and that's not because other players, you know, that's not to say that they're, they're not willing to do it, but there's so much talent in the Chelsea team 
offensively and you think of you know Penela Harda and Sam Kerr and Jiso Yun and there's just so many offensively talented and gifted players that somebody has to be able to play with them but also mop up behind them a little bit as well and give them the freedom to go and express themselves and to go and break teams down and hurt heart sides and that's exactly what um what Melanie Leopold does so it's yeah I mean you can see already what an enormous signing she is for them she's to walk into this Chelsea team or to arrive sorry at Chelsea and then just be a regular player and a starter immediately, which is exactly what she's become in this first season with them. It's I think that just sort of underlines how important she is to allowing everybody else to go and play their game. Yeah, d- definitely. She is she is a very exciting player. And like you say, for her to have kind of arrived and settled into this this team and not to be competing against other people, but to have, in, in a way, I guess, other people that play in her position to be able to kind of slot into that position and take over in places, um, you know, is pretty good and speaks volumes. Um, also, um, I think the fact that the players that scored were not the likes of Kirby or Beth England, etc., it does just show that Chelsea have quality all over the pitch. Um, and with the Champions League draw coming up in a few weeks, um, the games will be coming thick and fast. Emily, how important do you think it is for Chelsea that they don't just have to depend on, you know, one or two players for goals, that they do have these numerous options? Oh, it's extremely important. And I think, I mean, just for Chelsea but also for every team in football, men or women's. Um, more options on the bench, it helps make you less predictable. Um, and that's exactly what we saw um, by Chelsea against Spurs. So add on to that, you know, if you have lots of different players scoring and having an impact on the game, that can help with injuries, especially in a compact schedule like we have now. Or if it happens, if a player ends up testing positive for COVID and they have to be out for X amount of time, then you have those options to rely on and to still get the results that you need. Um, that being said, though, uh, being Canadian, I would like to see a little bit more of Jessie Fleming. Um, so I hope we get to see her uh some more minutes and have some more impact because she's just been phenomenal for the national team over here and she's quite young as well. See, this is the problem, Chelsea. You've just got too many good players <laughs> and you should maybe offload a few to some other clubs that might need them, you know, clubs that have just had a really bad injury announcement like United, but whatever. <laughs> so, um, I mean, we'll mention Spurs not to write them off completely. Because as you mentioned, Emily, they did have a fair few chances in the first 20 minutes or so, um, you know, from the likes of Rhea Percival, Kit Graham testing the keeper. Lewis, do you think it was just a case of Spurs being up against a team that, I guess, kind of like the Barcelona-Real Madrid situation, that they're just on another level at the moment? Or was their performance kind of worthy of the bad scoreline? Like, kind of both, I guess. Chelsea did what Chelsea do when they play mid-table teams in the WSL and that's just what we saw I think Tottenham have got issues with not I wouldn't say issues with scoring goals but they don't have anyone with all of those star names that we just mentioned for Chelsea and Spurs don't have anyone who can regularly score goals I think Ashley Neville has two goals this season she's the only player who has two goals for them Alex Morgan scored two penalties before she left the club and that was it so you're looking at a team where even when they are on top or even when they are playing quite well, you do sort of wonder, well, where's the goal going to come from? 
And without that bit of extra star quality, I think against a team like Chelsea, you're, well, I mean, if Chelsea are on their game, then that's just how the game's going to go. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, This is Tottenham's second season in the Women's Super League. Um, They're middle of the table currently. You just kind of touched on it a bit there, Lewis. Um, But Emily, what do you think they're missing to just be a little bit higher up the table? Not necessarily to be winning the league, of course, but just to be a little bit more in the mix. Do you think it is a case of just getting... um, some more signings in some big name signings uh yeah signings would be great um but at the same time I agree with Lewis's other point just about being more clinical in front of goal they need those goals um I looked at the table and so far in the 11 matches they only have scored 13 and like Lewis mentioned two of those were the penalties from Alex Morgan so that's 11 goals from 11 matches from the rest of the players um you know against Chelsea the opening minutes like I said they really put some pressure on Chelsea but Shalina Zadorsky um had a great chance and just couldn't capitalize on it and then a couple minutes later so did Kit Graham and again just couldn't capitalize on it so I think if they want to move up higher in the table, it's just taking those opportunities and making the most out of them. Because as we saw in this last match, they do get some chances, but unfortunately, they just can't get the goal over the line. So I think in the future, that's definitely going to set them out from the other teams higher up in the table and something that they should focus on adjusting to and improving. Definitely. Well, let's hope that we we do see as the season goes on, let's hope that we see a little bit more from them. Um as I said before, it was another fantastic performance from Chelsea. We're just seeing these brilliant performances week in, week out. Um, similar to the Barcelona situation, Lewis, can you realistically see anybody ending this run or are you secretly hoping someone will end this run? What are you thinking? <laughs> um I I can't really, to be honest. Uh, I think Chelsea do still have to play um, Arsenal and they do still have to play Man City, but they play Arsenal about a week and Arsenal haven't played for ages now. They've had their last two games called off because of the weather. So it becomes very difficult to, to see a team... You know, it's already difficult to beat Chelsea the way things are, but Arsenal have played once in 2021. They've not won a game now since December to imagine that they're going to go and beat Chelsea next week. It's just, yeah, you know, it's very, very hard to see it happening. They obviously play Man City still as well. And I think what we've seen the last few seasons, that these three teams, especially in the WSL, in terms of quality, are very close to each other. And on their day, any of them can beat each other. They're three of the top teams in the world now. But... This Chelsea, I think they've just gone on to another level this season. I wouldn't say that they can't be beaten. And I think that we've mentioned before that they play in the Champions League and at some point Emma Hayes might have to rest players or she might pick up some injuries in the squad and have to change things a little bit. But it's very, very difficult, especially, you know, we've touched on the, the squad and the size of the squad and the amount of talent there. Even if they do get a couple of injuries or they are rotating a bit because of those Champions League games, it doesn't really harm the eleven that much. It's just ridiculous. You said that ridiculous like you were kind of fuming about that, like ridiculous. <laughs> and just like... Uh, yeah a little bit yeah I'm the same Um, now speaking of Emma Hayes the other day I saw an article about the men's team AFC Wimbledon 
who play in League One. Now, their manager, uh, Glyn, Glyn, I think it is, Glyn Hodges, finds himself now sacked without a job. And they're looking for somebody new. Um, Emma Hayes is one of the names in the mix alongside the likes of Joey Barton for some reason, but he's there as well. Um, now, this would make history. If she were to te- be offered this job and to take this job, she would become the first woman to take charge of a men's team in the UK. I'm not sure if I can see it happening more so because from where I'm sat, I feel like she's proven that she's better than a struggling League One team. How is that the same success? Like, how, how are they the same as the success that she's had at Chelsea? I mean, Some people might not agree. Some people might say that the quality of the men's game is better. I don't know if people have watched Wimbledon recently, but I couldn't really agree on that one, to be honest. Um, But just because it's the men's game doesn't mean that she's any less of a manager, in my opinion, and that she should be slumped down to the bottom of League One. And that's the same level, in in my opinion, anyway. Um, There are a lot of other things that come with being a manager. But I wanted to ask both of you, really, what do you make of this? Do you think it could happen? Do you think that she would leave her current post with the fantastic work she's been doing? I just wanted to get both of your thoughts on this. Uh, Personally, I don't see it happening. I don't see why you would leave a team that's unbeaten for a couple of years and chasing another unbeaten season and chasing the Champions League and they've put together this star-studded squad to do that and you're at the very, very, very top of your profession to take a job in a sort of a profession that's basically exactly the same but also a much lower level and yeah, I mean, I don't think that the Emma Hayes needs to go to Wimbledon to prove that she's a good manager. Yeah. And, and she'd be she under a lot more football. scrutiny as well, she I was would, thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what? Imagine the what people would say if if things didn't turn out well. And that's not to say that they wouldn't. It's also not to say that they would because she would not be managing the team with incredible talent like Chelsea anymore. So to go to a struggling Wimbledon, yeah, they're they're struggling. That's got something to do with the squad and the players as well. And it doesn't mean that anybody could go in there and turn it around from the men's game or the women's game. I, yeah, I mean. I, you do sort of look at this and you look at things like this and you do wonder a little bit, well, why is she only being linked with no respect, uh, disrespect intended? Why is she only linked with the Wimbledon job? Like, is that some sort of PR thing for Wimbledon? Or, you know, Frank Lampard walked into a championship club off the back of absolutely zero coaching experience and then went on to manage Chelsea's men's team a year later, a year later in the Champions League. Why does Emma Hayes or what has Emma Hayes, with all that she's achieved, done to only deserve being considered if the men's team is playing at a really low level and struggling? I don't really, you know, it it almost feels a little bit disrespectful just her being linked or mentioned with the job to me. I agree. What do you make of it, Emily? Uh, Yeah, I agree with the two of you. You know, I was just looking at some of the headlines and I don't know much about uh, Wimbledon just as a club or where they sit, 
but the way the headlines are written, they're kind of suggesting like, okay, this is a good thing, but I mean, you two make a great point. She has, Emma Hayes just has Chelsea right where she wants them to be. She's developed them to be, I mean, at the top of the league. They're also playing in the Champions League and she's pulled talent in from all over. So she's crafting the club into exactly what she needs them to be, exactly what she desires them to be. And then they're also performing exactly the way she wants. So it is a bit of a puzzling question um, about why she would be linked, but who knows what will happen in the future. I don't see her leaving um, Chelsea women for the time being, though. No, I I agree. And it is a, a really strange one. And it makes me think, will there be a day that um, that a woman will be coaching in men's football in the UK because it would it it would be a very very strange jump for her to go to somewhere like Wimbledon it doesn't make sense and like you say Lewis it is disrespectful and also going into the men's game as a woman you'd have to think like I said how much scrutiny and how much pressure you'd be under it's it will be interesting to see if and when when it does happen how it will happen I, I find it quite interesting but yeah I, I agree I mean I don't think she should take the job um, at all she's perfectly happy at Chelsea and why not work you know unfortunately the way the world works I don't think she would necessarily walk into that job and get the respect that she deserves from whether it's people at the club players whatever I don't think the media I don't think she would get the respect that she deserves so why would you put yourself through that to help a struggling league one side when you're getting the respect that you deserve in the women's game and you've got a team that is absolutely flying it's funny isn't it how like Phil Neville off the back of a playing career in the men's game can just walk into the biggest job in the country in the women's game having never done anything in management or in women's football but if you're hang on didn't he help out at that wonderful spell at Valencia with his brother true (laughs) incredible spell at at Valencia Um, but you know yeah you can he can come off the back of that as his only coaching experience and walk into like I say the biggest job in the in the women's game in England but if you are unbeaten for two years and looking like one of the favorites for the Champions League in the women's game then you might you might if you're lucky you might get linked with a team struggling in league one it's just it just it's a great little image of the the difference between how men and women are treated in the game really it is and listen I think all we can say from this is media Wimbledon whoever's listening Put some respect on Emma Hayes's name. And if you're going to offer her a job, at least offer her one that's a little bit better. No disrespect to Wimbledon. But um, moving on now, we will head um, to Italy. The first leg of the Coppa Italia quarterfinals took place. Now, the most exciting scoreline had to go to Empoli against Juventus. As the game finished 4-5 to Juve, um, these teams will also be facing each other this weekend. So I guess it's a nice warm up to see what will happen in their league game. Um, Now, by the 49th minute, the home team were winning 3-1. Benedetta, uh, I'll say her name wrong again, um, Gleona. There we go. We got there in the end. So she was celebrating a hat trick in the 49th minute and then it all seemed to go very, very wrong. Um, First off, it was a great performance from her, Emily. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, a hat trick of free kicks, too, to add. Like, that's just absurd. And, I mean, all three of them were done with ease, too. When I was watching the highlights, I couldn't believe it. I think my favorite part, though, is after every free kick that she scored, afterwards, she just stood still, turned around, and walked away. Like, yes, I just scored that. No big deal. Um, and it was after every single goal, all three of them, no celebration. Um and I just thought that was um, hilarious. But um, yeah, a tremendous individual f- performance from her. It shows her individual skill exceptionally. And, you know, each one of those free kicks were from different angles and needed different attempts. Some were more direct. Um, others had to have a curve to them. So I think just overall a great individual performance from Gliana. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, by the 75th minute now, fast forward in a little bit, it was still 4-2. Um, and then Juve managed to score three goals in 10 minutes. I mean, kudos to Juventus because they did have some chances in the first half. They were punished for not taking them. Then they kind of took full advantage at the end and did get the job done. Lewis, if you were the Juventus manager, would you take it as a dramatic win and you got the job done in the first leg? Or should you be looking at the concerns that they let those four goals in and didn't really take their chances in the first half? Uh, I think when you concede so many free kicks, you sort of have to just applaud and say there's not that much you could do about it. Like you can't, you're not, you know, leaking chance after chance. It's three free kicks. So what are you supposed to do really to stop it? The weird thing is that Juventus have only let in six goals in Serie A all season and three of them came when they beat Empoli 4-3 at the beginning of the season as well. So I have no idea what's going on when these two teams play against each other. I have no idea if Juventus will be worried now going, you'd think, you know, it's Juventus, they've won every league game this season, they're one goal ahead they've got five away goals they're a goal ahead going into the second leg but apparently Empoli are the only team in Italy who have their number and might actually be able to do something to surprise them in the second leg as well so I think I if it was against any other team I don't think Juventus would be that worried but the fact that it's the same team again that have managed to cause them so many problems it's just bizarre and it might play on their minds a little bit on the other hand obviously they still scored five goals so you know, it, it's not that much of a concern, I guess. If you're, it's not like a team is has really figured you out and is able to stop you. If you can still score five goals against them, it might just be this weird twist of events that's everything sort of fallen into place in those two games. But it could at least, hopefully, make the second leg interesting. Definitely, and I think it is one of those situations where you've just had such a crazy game, and you think, oh. Hopefully the next fixture will just be a bit more of a nice, easy one. We're not going to have to, you know, fight tooth and nail. And you play in the same team the weekend after. It's not really, um, it's a bit stressful. You think, oh no, I just need, I need some time to recover from this one. But um, now Valentina Sonoya wasn't on the score sheet, but her addition to the game certainly did help Juventus. Of course, she did come onto the pitch for Sophie Penderson, who suffered a maxillary sinus fracture following a head clash during the game. But luckily, we have heard from Juventus, well, not me personally, um, I read on their website, I would be that lucky for Juventus to be calling me. Um, but luckily, uh, there is no no surgery will be required for her. Um, but Emily, what did you make of um, Sonoya's performance? Well, first of all, very much a tactical substitution when she came on. Um, she came on in the 60th minute, so about 30 minutes left to play. But Juve still only had one goal at that point. So 
I mean, she came on and really, really changed the way that the team was playing just as a whole. Um, and that just really proves her class as well. She doesn't necessarily need to be on the score sheet, but she's extremely influential in the game. And like I said, they ended up scoring those goals in the 30 minutes that she did play. And I mean, she provided the cross for the winning header. So um, absolutely dominant performance from her on an individual note. And I think Juve will be very thankful that she could do that for them because like Lewis brought up, Empoli are tough competitors uh, for the squad. So they must be very happy with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in the end, I've, I felt a bit bad for, for Empoli. They, they did falter towards the end. Um, I, I do like, I guess, what you would class as a bit more of an underdog compared to Juventus. I, I do always root for them. And when they were winning, I thought, you know what, go with this and, and run with it. And it, it didn't happen. Um, as you've already said, Lewis, it's going to be a very exciting um, second leg. Who's your money on for the second half? Well, the second leg. And who's your money on for the game this weekend? You have to say Juventus still, right? They, they've still they still won the game. Firstly, they've still won every single league game this season. But I don't think it will be like a lot of their games. You know, one sided and and a bit of a a walk towards the finish line. I mean. <laughs> Barcelona, it sound, doesn't sound impressive now that Emily's dropped Barcelona's goal difference, but Juventus have 31 <laughs> goal difference from 12 games this season, which is still, still pretty good. Still good, yeah. Um, and they've won all 12 of their league games. Like I said earlier, Empoli, the, Empoli scored half of the goals that Juventus have conceded this season without even talking just in the league. You know, it doesn't include these four goals in the cup at the weekend. So Empoli, clearly, if somebody can maybe take it to Juventus if somebody also is just going to believe that they can actually have a go at Juventus then it will be Empoli but the second leg they're going to have to win it by two goals to go through and that just seems like an enormous ask yeah yeah I know what you mean I think I've, I'll still have my fingers crossed that they'll they'll do something but you, you kind of do have to always go with Juventus I guess but um, elsewhere in the cup competition Roma they managed a 4-0 victory over Florentina surely I'm, I'm assuming they're going to go through to the next stage unless there's another crazy uh, crazy game like the Juventus one. Emily, do you think that if Roma do win the second leg, this will kind of help them with their league form? As it's not been horrific, but they are a little bit kind of stagnant in the middle of the table at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, these domestic competitions, they can help you in that manner. Um, Roma, I looked at the table and they've now won three matches in a row. So this is going to be surely a boost. Next up for them in the league is Bari, who are last in the table. So they should, um, emphasis on should, because you never know, it's football. Um, they should take home a good result. So then that can extend it to four wins. And then they're playing the next round of the Copa at home already with the 4 nil advantage so hopefully if everything goes the right way for Roma then yeah it'll be a huge boost of confidence for them because like you said Angelina it's a really really tight um, table right now they're not too far down they're not out of it just yet but um, if everything goes their way I think they'd definitely be able to bring their confidence to the league performances for sure yeah well fingers crossed I mean I always like to see when if teams do find a little bit extra mojo from things and it makes it a bit more exciting Um, also Inter Milan they um, beat Fiorentina two goals to nil. But AC Milan, they had a 1-1 draw with Sassuolo away from home. Louis, what are you expecting from the second leg of this AC Milan game? Because they're, they're going to want to, you know, get this one done 
um, and get a win from this and progress to the next round. Yeah, I think you'd worry for them a little bit. Sassuolo were a third in the league, and like Emily just said, the league's so tight, but Sassuolo are sort of the only team bridging that gap to Milan and Juventus at the top of the table, and Milan didn't look very good here. Like Sassuolo easily could have scored a couple of goals. They were probably quite unlucky to to be 1-0 down still quite late into the game, and they've absolutely deserved the equaliser which was not what you expect from from Milan they've got the best defence in the league and as soon as they go 1-0 up you think that's probably going to be it but Sassuolo obviously I think not only got themselves back into it but they showed enough that they'll go to the go into the second leg thinking that they've got a chance of at the very least going the distance but I think possibly even knocking Milan out if they can play as well as they did at home well I mean I, I, there's I your underdog of, yeah that is in a way yeah I mean forget Empoli I'm all, all for uh, Sassuolo now forget them um, but <laughs> I mean, this is all of what this is what cup competitions are about, anyway, isn't it? Exciting fixtures, exciting results. I also, I know some people aren't that keen on having two legs, but sometimes I, I do love two legs. I'll be honest. Um, but one thing's for sure, we definitely have some very interesting, some very exciting second legs to look forward to. So thanks to Emily and Lewis for that look at the European games. Now, as I mentioned previously, in this week's Hot Topic, it's going to be a little bit different as I'm actually joined by none other than Atletico Madrid's defender, Kylie Strom. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the One Football Women's Football Podcast. How are you? Oh, thanks. No, thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm great. Good. Glad to hear it. Now, first off, congratulations on the win at the weekend. Atletico are now fourth in the table. Real Madrid are above you only on goal difference. You've got Madrid Club de Football actually below you. There's a lot of Madrid in that table at the moment. Um, How do you think the season is going so far for Atletico? Yeah, it's been uh, a a bit of a complicated season this year. You know, we've been a bit unfortunate with uh, COVID and, you know, some injuries, but then again, everybody's been dealing with that. Uh, So we hold ourselves to a high standard. You know, we need to bare minimum make top three in order to qualify for Champions League. Um, So we've, we know we've dropped a few points that we probably shouldn't have, but I think that also just goes to show how strong the, the Spanish league is this year and how much it's growing. So Every game is is super important and and there's no easy game. Of course, 100%. Um, And obviously, the Super Cup that you guys won, um, the team not only beat Barcelona, which which must have felt amazing, um, and then in the final, you beat Levante. Um, So talk us through those fixtures. It must have been such a massive boost for you guys to beat both of those teams. Yeah, yeah. That was super, super important for us. you know, obviously to to beat Barcelona in the semis, um, you know, they're one of the best teams in the world and to fight the way we did and, you know, just never give up and never stop believing um, was, was an awesome team effort. And then we knew right away, you know, if, if we don't win the final, then, you know, beating Barcelona really means nothing. So, you know, we came out on fire that game. And then to have uh, Virginia there in the stands and, and see her lift up that trophy was, I mean, it, it honestly like brings tears to my eyes thinking about it. Um, she's been such a huge inspiration for us. So to be able to, to win that for her was, was a, a really special moment. 
I can imagine. I mean, we spoke about it a week or two prior on the podcast and uh, we were saying how the images of her uh, lifting that trophy, it brought tears to people's eyes. And, and yeah. like you say, such an amazing thing to, to win that trophy for her and for the fans and everything. Um, of course, you guys are still in the mix uh, for the Champions League. This month, it's going to be the round of 16 draw. You got to the quarterfinals last year. Are you feeling confident that you can progress perhaps even further than that this season or were you just kind of taking it as it comes? Yeah, I mean, we were last year, uh, we made club history by making that far. So one of our goals this year was to, you know, every year we're trying to improve. So we just want to keep getting better and better. Um, We know that, you know, whoever we draw in the next round, it's going to be a really difficult task. Um, But, you know, we just want to keep proving that we can compete with some of the best teams in Europe. So we're excited. 100% that's what it's all about, I I guess. Um, Now, you've played in Germany, the Czech Republic, now Spain, um, but you also headed back to Boston and played for the Boston Breakers. In between all of that, what differences or similarities do you see in football played in the US and in Europe? Because I always think, and this is what I wanted to ask you, would you say that the US are ahead of the game? Just because I guess women's football has been focused on a little bit more in the US for a longer period. It's had more of a stronger existence, shall you say, um, than compared to in Europe. So would you say that the US are ahead of the game a bit? Yeah, I, I do completely agree with you. You know, I'm super fortunate that, you know, I was able to play, start playing football when I was, you know, three, four years old. And, you know, I had these role models to look up to, you know, Mia Hamm, Brandi Chastain, you know, I had, you know, a clear, like, this is a possibility, you know? And then when I went to the Czech Republic, you know, some of these girls started playing football when they were 16 years old. And, and they're ballers too. Like they're so good. So I'm just like, imagine if they had the opportunities that I had and were able to start playing when they were, were little. So, um, yeah, I think that's why the U S has had so much success on, on the world stage. But, you know, I think things are starting to change. I think the game's really growing in Europe. So, um, I think that advantage is going to start uh, declining. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you mentioned there about how you've been playing from such a young age. Um, I saw an interview where, where you were talking about your parents and how supportive uh, they've been of your career, etc. I mean, they must be so proud of you right now playing at Atletico Madrid. Um how important do you think that was, you know, growing up having such fantastic supporting parents? Oh my gosh, it's it's really everything. You know, I, I wouldn't be any anywhere without them, you know, from driving me to training. You know, I would I'm from a small town, so in order to get like on the best team, every week they'd drive me an hour and a half to training and then an hour and a half back. You know, like it I'm so grateful for all that they've done and still do. I mean with the time difference and everything, uh, this past weekend, uh, they woke up at 6am to, to watch my game. So they're, they're the best. Wow. Fantastic. I, d- I don't know if I could know, to be honest, I was going to say, I don't know if I could see my mum, if I was a footballer waking up with that, but I think my mum would be exactly the same. Um, yeah. cause she'll be listening to this and she'll go absolutely crazy if I say otherwise, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I've, 
I think also I wanted to ask you, um, when, you know, with COVID times and everything, once things have got a little bit better and, um, you know, people are allowed to travel, etc., will your parents be wanting front row seats for the Madrid derby? That's what I wanted to ask you. Or maybe Atletico against Barcelona, will they be trying to fly over maybe to watch some of those big games? Oh, 100,000%. They actually had a trip planned last March for our Champions League game against Barcelona. And then, of course, COVID hit, so they had to postpone their trip. Yeah, so, but... Oh my gosh, as soon as, you know, things get back to somewhat normal, they're going to be over here right away. Fantastic. I bet that's really exciting that that will be happening in the future for you. Um, Yeah, I can't wait. There have been a lot of debates about women's football across the world, um, from Megan Rapino and the fight for equal pay in the US to fights in the Women's League in England, etc. How important do you think it is that these issues are tackled not only for the better of the players but just so that some of these very narrow-minded people of the world start taking this sport seriously how important do you think all of this is yeah I think it's it's so important and I think it's amazing you know what Rapino and the U.S. Women's National Team and so many other players are doing to to use their platform for so much good and not only in the woman in women's football and women's sports but just for women in general, I think they serve as like such an inspiration to, you know, fight for what you deserve. Yeah, 100%. uh, Um, Also, um, you are part of Common Goal. Now, I'm aware of Common Goal. I'll be honest, because I watched the Juan Mata documentary um, on Amazon Prime, and he spoke a lot about Common Goal. Um, It's an amazing cause. So for those who maybe aren't aware of what it is, could you explain a little bit about what it is and why it's so important? to you yeah it's it's such such an amazing cause um basically it's just a group of footballers who pledge one percent of their salary and it goes towards football charities so uh, a quote that i love is you know many little people in little places doing little things can change the world and that's pretty much the the concept of common goal you know if we all donate one percent then when when you put it all together it's it really can make a huge difference in so many people's lives and you know football has has given me so much so you know it's it's the least i can do i i, I need to give back to the game as well that's that's really lovely and it is such a, that quote it is lovely you're right you know just doing little things a lot of people coming together it, it will make a massive difference so you know kudos to you for you know being a part of that um as, as well as things like equal pay, equal respect really in the women's game. One thing that is happening and that is being discussed a lot across men and women's football, I think, is racism. Um, you posted something on your Instagram about speaking up, which I thought was really great to see. Um, one thing that is being promoted is having these conversations, speaking up even if you're not directly affected by something. Um from your perspective, do you think that the sport in general is at least moving in the correct direction? I do think, yeah, the, the sport ha- is is moving in the right direction. But, you know, unfortunately, still on, on really a daily basis, we're hearing about these uh, racist incidents. And it's, it's really sickening. Um, 
you know, so until there's zero, zero racism, we need to continue to speak up and and have those tough conversations. Yeah, m- most definitely. Um, I know for from a personal point of view, being a Manchester United fan, um, there was a lot that was going on in, on Instagram in the men's game, probably more so. Um, and, you know, reading about it all, I agree, you know, having these conversations that are difficult, but they must be had. Um, I think it is really important. And, you know, people like yourself um, that are, you know, just one post on Instagram that, might only take some one two seconds but the impact that it can have in just another person maybe looking at it considering themselves and what they can do to be better etc I think um I think that's really good um, and yeah, I think yeah, it's definitely a, a responsibility of of all of us you know to use our platforms for for the better of course. Um, now, I watched an interview where you spoke about when you signed for Atletico um, and that when your agent called you, you were a little bit in disbelief. You were not having it that it was happening. Um, you're into your second season with the club. Um, how is life playing for Atletico Madrid? Yeah, I'll, I'll honestly never forget that conversation because it, it truly was was life changing. How long did um, it take for you to actually believe it? <laughs> Like it just, I didn't really believe it until I signed the contract, you know, like, yeah, yeah, like there, there were, and then honestly, until I was here, like the first day I was here, I was like, wow, I'm, I'm here. No, like not Jersey on for the first time. Like this is happening. (laughs) Exactly. And, and honestly, like every time I put on the Jersey, like I still feel like I did the first time I put it on. Like I'm every time I'm just like, wow, like you know, I'm, I'm here playing for Atletico Madrid and just super, super grateful. I'll, it'll never get old. <laughs> yeah, of course. And um, and how has life been, um, before we hit record on this, we were having a little chat about it anyway and our mutual love of puzzles and jigsaws, but um, <laughs> how has life been um, as a footballer in lockdown? It's been, you know, it's been challenging for sure. Um, I've definitely learned a lot of new workout routines and, you know, when we're <laughs> locked in, you know, just a, a small apartment, you kind of have to get creative with different workout materials and different workouts and keep it interesting. But, um, yeah, I mean, you try and try and make the most out of any situation and, and grow and yeah, hopefully we can, you know, get back to, to normal life shortly. Yeah, well, here's hoping, fingers crossed. Um, Regarding interviews um, for female footballers, um, I'll be honest, I've seen some shocking ones over the years um, (laughs) with um, people interviewing female footballers and the people that are doing the interviews have ended up deviating from the football side of things and more to stereotypical points of conversation about being female. Um, do you think, in, in your experience, do you think that interviewers are getting better at basically treating interviews with female footballers as an interview with a footballer, not just a discussion about, you know, cosmetics or perfume or, you know, silly things like that? In Do you feel like things are getting a bit better? Because I, I know, like I said, some of the interviews I've listened to over the years um I've had to I've had to stop them and take a minute (laughs) yeah I I definitely know exactly you know some of the interviews that you're talking about and it, it is super frustrating but I do think as a whole you know the the women's game is gaining the respect that it deserves and has become 
much more professional. Um, and I, I think it's a really exciting time to be a part of women's football because I think, you know, the possibilities are unless it just is going to continue to grow and, and become more professional. And it's it's really exciting. Most definitely. I, could, I can understand what you're saying there in that it's good. It's a good time to be um, a woman playing football professionally because the only way has got to be up surely now um, mm-hmm. after so many years of what what I would call, you know, struggle. Um, yeah. I think that most definitely it's a very positive time at the moment, um, you know, with the Euros, hopefully next year, you know, the World Cup, etc. It's, um, yeah, right, I must agree, it is a very exciting time um, just to be a fan, never mind be an actual player. Um, now, just before I let you go, um, of course, as you mentioned, you're a long way from home, um, which is New York, but you've been in Europe for a while, on and off. Um, so I wanted to ask, what's the one thing that you will always kind of miss from New York? And what's one thing that you've fallen in love with, maybe either in Spain or across Europe? You know, have you swapped donuts for churros? Like, what <laughs> what's, uh, what are the things that you miss and the things that you've loved from your new experiences in Europe? I mean, of course, you know, my family and friends are what I miss most. Um about New York and, you know, kind of having that comfort zone, speaking the same language, yeah. uh, wherever you go, not having to worry about that. But at the same time, it's it's almost like a, a catch-22 because one of my favorite things about being able to play abroad is the relationships that, you know, I, I make here, you know, with my teammates. I've met so many amazing people. I mean, here at Atletico, I think we have probably 10 plus different nationalities here. Um, so it's just super cool to, to meet these people from different walks of life with totally different experiences and, you know, make make lifelong friends out of it. So while I miss my family at home, at the same time, I'm making new new family wherever I am. So, yeah, that's that's a really nice way to look at it. Um, most definitely. Um, well, your next game is against Tenerife. I'm assuming that you're going to be heading over to the to the sunny island um, mm-hmm. for the game. Um, so massive good luck to you in that game. Thank you. Um, and good luck for the rest of the season. I am rooting for Atletico Madrid to get the, one of those top three spots. I've got every confidence that you guys will do it. And hopefully when you do do it, we can get you back on the podcast um, for a celebratory chat. Sounds great. Sounds like a plan. Fantastic. Thank you, Kylie. No, thank you. So that is the end of our women's football podcast. Big thanks to our guests, Lewis and Emily, and of course, the brilliant Kylie Strom. To all of you for listening, thank you. And if you do want to get in touch, the email address is podcast at onefootball.com. Don't forget, you can head to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you listen to all of your podcasts, really, to have a listen to the One Football podcast. <laughs>